Well, hello and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program. We're coming to you from the studios at the Coming Home Network International. And uh, uh, joined today by my compatriot, Jim Anderson. Hello, Jim. Hello. How are you doing today? Pretty good. You're coming to us from uh, Chillicothe, I think, right? Yes, I am. Well, it's good to have you here. Right though. in the backyard of St. Peter's Church. All right. Those of you who have listened to Deep in Scripture for a number of years will recognize Jim in the earlier days when we were on radio, actually, Jim was a regular. Um, Jim pretty much filled in every time I didn't have another guest, so it's been a while, but uh, it's good to have you back, Jim. And you're, this is the first time you're going to join us for this new format that we're doing, which mm-hmm. we're calling, for want of a better term, Memorable Verses. Those of you joining us for a first time, over the years we've had a variety of formats, Traditionally, we focused on verses we never saw, which usually gave uh, a convert or revert to the church an opportunity to share a scripture that was very important to their journey to the church. And so often those scriptures were apologetic verses, like John 6 or Matthew 16. And then the second time of theme we followed for a while is a theme we called hard verses. And our goal for that was to take scriptures that demonstrate uh, that apart from the church, uh, one can there are some difficult scriptures that can be interpreted in a variety of different ways, even leading to scandal and schism. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had a lot of fun with those uh, texts. And a third theme that we've followed from time to time is, for want of a better word, we called it being abiding and abounding. And uh, actually, the verse that I'm looking at today fits kind of into that category. Scriptures that that uh, address different phases of the spiritual journey, coming into a relationship with Christ and then remaining in Christ and then experiencing blessings or sufferings uh, as we grow closer to Christ. This fourth new series called uh, Memorable Verses, I'm inviting guests to join me to share scriptures that are very important to them, that they've memorized, and that through the memorization of these verses have been a really important part of their spiritual walk. And I'm inviting the guests to choose verses that they think every, every Catholic ought to memorize, because it's great to have it in our arsenal to fight the spiritual battle. And, uh, and what I'll do is I'll invite a guest to come with one. I'll share one. The guest will share one. And then at the end, we'll see if there's any way that the two fit together uh, in terms of helping us in our walk with Jesus Christ. And so, Jim, I've invited you. I was, last week, I was on Gary Mashuda's program. We were talking about this. He was calling it the, the memorable verse throwdown. Uh, I don't know if that's the, the best way to describe <laughs> it, but... But it's great to have you join me today, Jim. Uh, now, the scripture that I was thinking about which one to uh, bring back on the program, and it seemed that all week as I was thinking about it, one verse kept coming to mind, and it is a verse that that I've had as a part of my uh, memory arsenal for a good 40 years. And I think it was very important to me when I had my reawakening to Jesus Christ when I was 21 years old. And I know that I've quoted this 16 Brazilian times over the years. Uh, And uh, again, it's one I think it is important to know. 
And it comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and it's verse 17. And I'm a guess is, Jim, as I look at you, that I think you know what it is. And um, the verse is, and then I'll read the context. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. This verse, I think, is, is an absolute crucial one for us to know because there are times when it's a great reminder. We need to remember, especially when we're feeling down or discouraged, we feel like nothing's going right. In fact, if we wonder if our faith is working, this is a promise. It isn't a guarantee, I'll get to that in a moment, in terms of it could never change, but it is a promise of what happened to us when we, by grace, put our faith in Christ and were baptized. Because Scripture says very clearly, even though I know it's a debatable subject amongst Christians, but there are enough Scriptures and tradition tracing back to the beginning of the church that emphasize that in baptism— we are changed. The old is gone, the new has come, and that we are now members of the body of Christ. We are adopted children of God, as, as, uh, as our Lord says. Well, actually, it's the author of the Gospel of John says uh, in chapter 1, when he writes, To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That this is a, a gift we received by grace. And uh, this verse I have considered absolutely important for a great variety of reasons. And uh, before I go on and talk about Jim, I don't know if, if this verse has had any impact on your own life, uh, if you wanted to make a comment about this verse itself. It's been an encouragement to me that I'm a new creation the old has passed. I don't have to dwell on the past. God is guiding me through his spirit. And there it does give me great hope for the future and for the present, for that matter. When you take this verse and you look at it in the context of so many other scriptures that talk about moving into Christ, uh, it really emphasizes that in this age of the church, in this sacramental age, that baptism is a channel of grace that we were given. And the truth is that I, there are a lot of Christians that don't believe baptism makes a difference. Well, the truth is it still does whether they believe it or not. Right, right. You know. And, you know, in baptism, we die with Christ and we rise with him. The old man is dead, whether we feel it or not even. Yeah. And so just a couple things that I wanted to also mention on this verse, why it's become very important to me. When you study New Testament Scripture and even the early church fathers, what you find is that the idea of being in Christ, in him, that phrase, that idea is far more common in the early church than being a member of the church if you will, um, they mean the same thing. 
But being in him is, is a much deeper and actually more significant concept. Because one, been, if you're in Christ, you're in the church. Right. But I've you can listening, be. Go ahead, Jim. I've been listening to uh, um, a rather long Bible study on the theology of St. Paul. And uh, the person leading that study says, being in Christ is the key to all of Paul's theology. I, uh, I need to listen to what you're listening to because I couldn't agree more. I've often. Right. Brant Petrie. Oh, well, there you go. Well, then you know it's a good stuff. And I can see Brant, I can see where he could come up and come end up with that. It, it's it's excellent. Because think about it. You can be, if you're in Christ, you're in the church because you become in Christ through faith and baptism, and that makes you a member of the church. Mm-hmm. But you could be a member of the church and not be in Christ. And the reason for that is that there's another part of being in in Christ, and that is the most common time, the most uh, common occurrences of the phrase in him in Scripture is when it's associated with the word abide, remain, continue in him. Uh, We see the Lord saying it himself in John 15, abide in me and I in you. But then in 1 John, we see it all, all all over the place, abiding in him. And the point is, we become in him through faith and baptism, and then by grace and then the effort of our will in response to grace, we are to remain in him the rest of our life until we stand before him. And the reason I know that there are many Christians that don't agree that you can not be in him once you're in him, in other words, the once saved, always saved folk, the verse that I'm reading is from 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you just take that verse, it sounds like, well, once you've been baptized, you're, you're in. But if you back up just about 10 verses, or not even 10 verses, you back, yeah, you back up about seven verses, Paul, who's speaking to Christians, says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive good or evil according to what he has done in the body. Now, we must remain in him. And so, if you will, now we have by grace and the assistance of Christ the rest of our life living out this new life we have received. That's why Paul says in Ephesians, for example, When he's speaking to Christians, he specifically commands that, therefore, putting away falsehood, let anyone speak the truth of his neighbor. He also says to put off the old man and put on the new. Now think about it. If you're a Christian and he's saying to do something, to put on and to put off, that is something we We'll, we intellectually accept that we have to do and then willfully respond to it. We are yes. free to do that. It's, it's still all by grace, but it's grace working through nature and our own will. And uh, But we are called to do it, not to just sit and say, well, God's done it all. I don't have to 
do anything. And I think, Jim, you as a former Wesleyan, this all sounds more natural to you. Yes. Myself as a former Calvinist evangelical from that perspective, this Mm -hmm. seems radically against the grain of how I understood my faith before, but it makes so much more sense to me now from a Catholic perspective, and it's more clearly in Scripture. So why do I think this verse is important to memorize? I truly believe you get up in the morning, anyone is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. When you look at something being baptized, a little baby being baptized, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. When you look at someone who's failed their faith, Christian leaders who failed their faith, it should be a stark reminder of what baptism does but what our faith must continue to do. We can't take it for granted. We can't just suppose we, the danger of that. But, Jim, that's why I've, I've always felt that verse is a very important mm-hmm. one for us to memorize. Okay, Jim, let me pass the baton over to you. What do you got for us today? All righty. I've got a verse that um, I have had since I was in college also, like you, Uh, In fact, I liked this verse so much when I was in college. I had a friend, Debbie, um, who wanted to make a special, I think, Christmas present. And so she embroidered this verse on a pillowcase in Greek form. (laughs) And I wish I still had the pillowcase, but I think I wore it out. But it's 1 Timothy 2. Uh, verses 5 and 6, she actually only embroidered verse 5. But the, the quote is, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is, which is the testimony given at the proper time. I think I held on to this because gave me confidence that God is one. He is the mediator. I have access through to the Father through Jesus, and I have hope through that. And as a Wesleyan, I had no problem with the phrase, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Yep. You Calvinists may have done some linguistic gymnastics with that one. Well, the reason was, as you know, Jim, that the Calvinists um, have a real problem with the struggle between the either-or dichotomies, um, if you will, even oxymorons of our faith, uh, like one God and three persons. So how do you deal with that? Well, Calvinists eventually accepted that reality because that's the tradition of the Church. But this idea of the sovereignty of God Mm-hmm. And the freedom of man was a conundrum for Calvin. Um, you know, that if, if we are predestined and chosen, right. if we recognize that my salvation is because somehow in the mercy of God, I therefore am one of the elect and chosen, that carries with it a supposition that there are those who are not of the elect and the chosen. And so there's where you get the idea of predestination, of course. Yes. Uh, And Catholics believe in predestination, just not double predestination. 
Some Catholics think, oh, well, that's a Calvinist thing. We don't believe in predestination. Well, yeah, we do, because it's in Romans. We have no choice. Paul teaches it. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the cushion, if you will, in Catholic conundrums and that is the emphasis of the mystery of the both and, that the God is totally sovereign, but yet gives, allows humanity to have free, complete freedom of choice. And they're both mm-hmm. true. How is that? Well, then there's yeah. the mystery. We, we leave it and Paul there. Got, and Paul got this from the Pharisees because the Pharisees believed in predestination, but then they would also say, but man is free. And people would say, well, which is it? They said, God is sovereign. He predestines, but man is free. And they wouldn't take it from that any farther. To do the either or, um, and where the conundrum is, is how do you how do you keep the idea that man is accountable and culpable for his choices? If he's not free, then he's not culpable. So how do you deal with that? Or you end up with God is culpable. Right. So there's where by emphasizing the either or you end up in a in a mess, but by leaving it a mystery. So get back to your scripture that yeah. God is uh, gave us it was a ransom for all. Calvinists would say, well, that means that if that Christ died for some people who weren't predestined for salvation. And they saw that as a major problem. How could that be? Mm-hmm. If, if he's if God's full sovereignty and Christ's complete sacrifice. Because it, with limit, with classic Calvinist limited atonement, Jesus only died for the elect. Yeah, well, that's why even when we say the creed in, in the Catholic Church, uh, we use the word for many. We've interpreted that for many mm. and not for all, depending on the translation. So, so there's but but there's the conundrum. One, so, yeah. one, interesting thing, Jim. Yeah, one can get distracted uh, on things like that and miss the point of the verse, right, Jim? I mean, we mm-hmm. can we right. can miss the Definitely. beauty of your verse by getting caught up in a conundrum. Well, another conundrum that I would have misinterpreted forty years ago when I was in college was that uh, this phrase, there is one mediator between God and man. Yep. Because, and Catholics should not be afraid of that phrase because there is a proper understanding and a, and a misunderstanding. Jesus is our one mediator through his sacrifice, life, death, resurrection. But that doesn't mean that through him as members of his body, we aren't also mediators. If you back up just, um, uh, let's see, four verses before, Paul is encouraging Christians to be mediators. He says, for, for first of all, then, I urge that supplicants, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life, godly and respectful in every way. So he's not, when he says Jesus is the one mediator between God and man, he's not saying, well, that means you aren't mediators also. 
because through Christ, through our baptism and our faith, we become like Christ, little Christ. That's what a Christian is, a little Christ. And through his grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we participate in his mediatory office. Now, he is the one mediator, just like he is the one priest. But there are other priests that he delegates his priestly office to also. Yeah, it's almost like we get too technical about it and we miss the point. I mean, that's why, for example, uh, in history, Mary has often been understood as mediatrix of all graces. Well, Mm -hmm. people just get up in a fliver about that. Well, what are we saying there? Well, she prays for us. That's what it means. She prays for us, and she asks for graces, and and God uh, responds to the person. They're not her graces. She's a channel, and just as we are. We are mediators of grace for others through our prayers and through our actions, through our hands, through— we are mediators of God's love to others. That's what we're supposed to be. In fact, if we aren't, then we're not in Christ, If you, to back up to my verse. We, if we are mm-hmm. not mediators of God's grace to others, if we are not mediators of love, if we aren't mediators of forgive, God's forgiveness to others, then, you know, Jim, uh, you remember uh, when I was a, a Protestant, uh, uh, one of the things I often talked about was stovepipe theology. Mm, Do you remember yeah. stovepipe theology? Mm-hmm. I I had taken a an elbow of the old tin stovepipe. You know, it's still in your office. It's still in my office. So I have this elbow, which is about a foot long and maybe six inches in diameter, a tube elbow from an old stovepipe. Um, and then I put the stoppers. I put a stopper in each end of that stovepipe, so you can you can close off both ends. And I always used to say that represented us, that we were to be channels of God's love. We were to be open for him to come into us and open for it to flow out of us so that those stoppers on either end should be fully open. But by sin, we close them off. We're closed off to God's love, and we're closed off for it coming through us. We are to be mediators of God's grace to mm-hmm. others. And we're not replacing Christ. We're, we're imitating Christ. We're, we're being Christians. Christ ones. Mm-hmm. That's what we're to do. And, um, you know, Jim, it's interesting, the verse in this context, which you haven't mentioned here, was the verse mm-hmm. right before it, which is, to me, one of my favorites, too. Verse 4? Verse 4. A God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, in many ways, that's a, a great motivating verse behind our very work that we do. Right. We recognize that God, in mysterious ways, desires an effort. We believe that he makes every effort for the salvation of every soul. We believe that to be true, right. which motivates us. And some people might say, well, if God desires all people to be saved— why doesn't he just zap them? Well, or if he desires the ascension, them, why aren't they just automatically saved? If he desires right. it, why just aren't they saved? And they're right. back to that conundrum but, of the mystery. But since the ascension, we are his body on earth. As St. Francis says, we are his hands and his feet. We are the ones through 
that he works through to bring those people to salvation, still by his grace, but he works through us. And we can't lay the blame on God when quite often we're not doing our work. Now, Jim, you chose this verse, and I'm sure you're well aware of it, that there were many Arians that also had this particular verse needle-pointed on their on their pillows. Because <laughs> yes. if this is a great example of why Scripture alone and private interpretation can lead to horrendous conclusions, because listen to this verse as I read it again. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God mm. and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So if you look at that verse without looking at it through the lenses of our Trinitarian assumptions, mm -hmm. in fact, if you looked at that verse through the lenses of the second and third century when the leaders of the church were still were fighting these battles, you could see how Arius, a priest, who really was one of the early, if you will, Sola Scriptura guys, right. ended up interpreting this verse to mean just what it sounds like. There's only one God, and Jesus isn't a God. Right. He's just a man that God chose to be the mediator between God and man. But that just shows that as Catholics and as well, Orthodox Protestants even, we use the analogy of faith. What does the entire revelation show? This is true, but it's not all the truth. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Uh, and uh, just because you can, and you can easily, you can say he is man, just as much as you and I are man, except for sin. But he's also fully God. And, um, and people can take, make that error in both directions. I remember Father Benedict Rochelle one time talking. He said um, he used to preach on the divinity of Christ in liberal settings. In conservative Catholic settings, he would preach on the humanity of Christ. And he said one time when he was talking about and emphasizing Jesus was fully human and had all the functions of a woman, this very pious old lady started beating him with her umbrella for being a heretic. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, such this last Sunday happened to be Trinity Sunday. And mm -hmm. uh, the, where I was at Mass, the, the priest read Athanasius' description of the, of the Trinity, and he warned us, and this can get a bit wordy here, but he said, listen to every word because it is absolutely— well, The Athanasian Creed? Yeah, well, and his explanation in this, his sermon on the, on the, uh, on the Trinity, mm -hmm. because we forget, we forget because we're so many years beyond the battles— Mm -hmm. of the battles for understanding this mystery of the both and, of the both and, right. and how do you fit together the divinity and humanity of Christ without the losing the realities of it? Yeah. 
in many ways, we're not beyond the battle. We still have Aryans around us, both in the church and out of the church. I yep. mean, those who are self-styled Aryans and are like the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, of course, they took a step farther. Uh, Arius never said that Jesus was the Archangel Michael like they do. <laughs> they said he was an exalted spirit, but not the Archangel Michael. But there are people who don't even realize it, even in the church, who are functioning Arians. They see Jesus as a prophet, as a good man. But yeah. he didn't give us that freedom to just see him that way. As C.S. Lewis said, if he was just a prophet, then he was either a lunatic or a liar. He wasn't the son of God. Very good, Jim. Let's okay. Let's let's put these two verses together side by side. What do you think? <laughs> Mine was, therefore, if anyone anyone is in Christ, the new is gone. He's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That was mine. And yours is that for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony to which was born at the proper time. Without that one mediator, that one man Christ Jesus, we would not have the wherewithal, the grace, the ability to abide in Christ. They work together. We can be in him because of him. Right. Because of his taking upon himself our sin, becoming the, our ransom. That's why we're in Christ. And because of that, mm-hmm. the sins, the original sin is gone. We stand before God, new people. And a, a clean slate to start over again. Right. And also, as, I, as we move forward to remain in Christ, try and keep that slate as clean as it can be, when we fail, that's why he gave us, not, he gave us other mediators. What's it say in John 20, Jim, in terms of other mediators? My mind's gone blank. When he, when he, oh, the, uh, the, yes, I've got it right here. Duh. No, that's not the quote I have. But you know, he, in the upper room. Oh, to the apostles. Yeah. Yes. He, he, in other words, you forgive are forgiven. Whose sins you retain, they are retained. It threw me because I had the quote from Matthew. Right. Right. (laughs) But, um, and I was going to mention that because, those are mediators too. The priestly office is a mediator. And what's even would have been more scandalous to Jews is the Jews said only God can forgive sins. And Jesus demonstrated that he could forgive sins by healing the lame man in Capernaum. But then later, he not only himself forgave sins, but gave mere humans who were not in the hypostatic union of the God-man, who as his deputies forgive sins or retain sins for people who aren't truly repentant. We forget about that part. Well, I remember there was an old radio TV show way back with Groucho Marx 
member, and people would come, and he would ask them all kinds of questions, and they'd win money if they said the, the lucky void. When the duck fell down? When the duck fell down with the lucky word. So he would try and get him to say, and I threw you a softball, Jim, but you didn't get it. You didn't get the lucky void. So I'm going to throw it back. These scriptures fit together in an amazing way that neither of us really said yet, but I want you to hear, because when you read the context of my verse, it's dependent on your verse. So let mm-hmm. me read beginning with 2 Corinthians 5, okay. 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once regarded Christ from a human point of view, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through mm-hmm. Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And what's another word for an ambassador? A mediator. There you go. Those two verses fit hand in glove. And the old is gone, the new has come because of what Christ did for all. And now we have a responsibility as his ambassadors, as his mediators, Mm -hmm. just as you said. God makes his appeal through us. Mm -hmm. That's what it said, God making his appeal through us. So we are mediators because he's, he's called us to be that. For our seek, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jim, we planned those two verses together. Of course. Well, the Holy, <laughs> the Holy Spirit planned those two verses. Thanks, it's Jim. Just, we didn't know until we started the program what his plans were. Oh, that was fun. I hope those of you listening have enjoyed that. I hope it's a challenge. And, and if I encourage you to take some time now with a cup of coffee or whatever to open up both scriptures and prayerfully meditate on both of them and understand how in Christ your life has been changed because of what Christ did for us as the one mediator between us and our Father. Thanks, Jim, for joining me today. And all Thanks, of you... Th- Marcus. Thank you, Jim. And all of you, thank you for joining us on this episode of Deep in Scripture. Please go to chnetwork.org and find out more about all the things that we've placed there to help you grow in your relationship with Christ and His church. God bless you. Be with you again next week. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.